two, one. Woohoo! Okay, Amplified Living Podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. John, and I have some amazing guests with me today. Uh, I am just so uh, deeply appreciative to have uh, these two, this little power couple with me, Richard Norton and his wife, Judy Green. Richard, and uh, just an amazing martial artist, like one of the most dedicated guys in how that we initially connected was, it was almost like information that didn't even have to be said because like when you're that deep in the game and and it's in your blood like the your blood can sense it in another person you know and it just kind of binds uh people together at, for me and uh, and for for richard so uh yeah an amazing martial artist and off the the end of that also a very amazing actor who's been at it for many 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 years many years maybe he'll tell Thank us you. how many years but well, we can't tell by his youngness. I'm very old now. <laughs> uh, and, and his wife, Judy, who uh, I am most impressed with. I'm not very impressed with Richard. Let's just forget that. I am more impressed with his beautiful wife, who, um, who also has done her fair share of modeling and acting in the world. And I think I remember it was it Sale of the Century. Oh, and Sword of Bushido, if I remember in my mind, there was something like that as well. Ooh. Anyway, these are my two guests. Welcome, guys. Welcome to the to Amplified Living. Thank you, John. Oh Good my goodness! Oh my goodness! So, uh, yeah, wow. So before, when we were just chatting, we were talking about uh, you know what the types of things that we do in 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 our lives. Like I was asking you guys, well, what, what's on your your project list? What list? What are you up to? But if it's okay. Uh, I would like to start with today. Like, it's such an interesting time. We're in the middle of the tail end of here because we're in Australia. So just to set the scene for our listeners, you are in Melbourne. Is that right? You're yeah. in Melbourne? Yep. And uh, I'm in Queensland on the Gold Coast. And uh, Australia is just sort of trying to peel its way out of the end stage of the COVID-19 pandemic. You, of course... Uh, your industry, Richard, has been dramatically affected by this. It's not like you can continue doing what you were doing, essentially. Uh, and, and my industry has been affected as well. Um, what are these days like for you guys? What are you, what are you up to? Well, it, I, for me and for Judy, actually, we were in Atlanta, Georgia um, for seven months just before this all hit. In fact, we got back to Australia on the first week of March. So we got back just before everything really hit and the quarantine and everything came in. So we were very lucky to be back in the country and thankfully so. And <clears throat> I wanna say this, that for us, I, I, well, let me talk for me personally. I was really looking for a bit of downtime, John, because it's, it's people always assume being on a movie set and everything, oh, so much fun. But by the time you leave home and get home, it's pretty much 14 hour days. So it's long, you know, and after a shoot like that, to have a little bit of time where you just sort of smell the roses, so to speak, is something I look forward to. Now, I would have been on a movie in March, uh, a friend of mine is producing called Slayer. It's kind of a medieval sword movie. And the fact that this hit and we got sort of forced into lockdown, you know, as they say, careful what you wish for, because we got the downtime whether we liked it or not. Mm. And I say that, though, totally, and the both of us totally understand the hardship for so many people, whether they've lost 
businesses or income or loved ones. And so I'm not commenting on that. But for, if you're asking me personally, I'm not unhappy with the downtime, albeit we don't want it to last too long. Of course, it would be good to get back to work. But things, things are not bad for us at the moment. And I think Judy, you know, will obviously follow that. We're very much homebodies. We don't sort of go much out much anymore. Mm. And thankfully, we're so comfortable in our own skins and with each other that that everything's been, it's been a good time for us. So there you go. It's a bit of a contrast, I know, to a lot of people. And again, we totally, totally feel for the individual circumstances of different people out there. Yeah, and I guess from my point of view, just before we came back, we Cologne, which was part of the filming, and we were staying in a compound because it's quite unsafe. Oh, this is, this is in Panama yeah. City. Yeah, Panama oh, okay, City. you're right. And then at the, the talk just started coming through about, you know, COVID and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I guess we just... Richard made some good choices, you know, actually had some dental work due in LA and he decided to have it done in Australia and then we decided to come back. So we did make it back in time, but for about seven months, I was kind of in lockdown because even um, we were staying in a little place called Peachtree City in Atlanta and I'd go and do yoga in the morning, but apart from that, come back to the hotel and pretty much I didn't go out that much anyway. So I was sort of used to being isolated and I'm quite solitary anyway. So it wasn't that big a deal for me. Then we came back and I guess for everyone, it's really taken a while to really um, sink in. But the part that was initially really good for me because in our neighbourhood where we live in Melbourne, you know, there are a lot of nature strips and things and I like to do the gardens, you know, outside and apart from our own. So I've actually um, put energy into that and in our neighbourhood because I'm sort of thinking that, you know, times like this, it, you know, trying to work towards little your own little community because sometimes, you know, people might have a neighbour that annoys you or, you know, different things. And if you're going to live in an area to try and bring more harmony into it is always a good thing. So, um, you know, my neighbour, she's working on bee guns and we've got this whole thing going anyway. And then other neighbours like the idea. So it, it, the whole thing spreading with the gardens and it's been as much as it's terrible for people not working, losing jobs, things like that. Richard and I, for instance, in our life, we've had money, we haven't had money in the film business, you're working, you're not. So mm. we've been through a lot of financial challenges like many people. So, you know, the grace of God, this time we're in an okay position. Right. But I guess the, the point being, where am I going with this? So the, the point being the opportunity to just... Um, seeing different neighbours because it's probably the same in the Gold Coast. I don't know, but I've never seen, um, you know, because originally, you know, if you had your sportswear on, you could be outside. So, you know, I've never seen so many dogs, so many sporty-looking people. So, you know, I'm getting to meet so many neighbours and people, and you know, because I'm always in the street and, of course, getting the vitamin D and, you know, being outside has been wonderful. So, um, yeah, it's kind of... But then the reality kind of said in that this just hasn't disappeared overnight and we're still just, you know, working within readjusting our lives around it, I suppose. Yeah, right. And that small community feel is probably that grassroots small project. I yeah. can imagine being extraordinarily powerful for people just in a personal way, you know, it gives them something to wake up to, look forward to, and, and that kind of yeah. spreads, right? 
You know, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's yeah. awesome. Awesome. So I want to see pictures of uh, Richard out there with his hands digging in the dirt, planting little cucumber uh, plants. He, he, had, he makes it sound like he does his stuff all the time. We had to go and buy a, a hoe. <laughs> I don't know if you, you know, this, this thing because, you know, we couldn't get um, – Oh, Richard, you're supposed to use like, is that a samurai sword or something to, to, to <laughs> oh, what, what is going on? What You're losing your edge. Very adaptable, John. No, Very there adaptable. was this tree and there were a lot of um, what was in the nature strip already. The, the roots were in the tree and it was just too, too hard to get it all out. So, um, so Richard, is, is, it, is I have this imagination now when I was a child and I don't know about you, I really got into Saturday, uh, Saturday morning Kung Fu theater. Like I was really into it. I was like a super big fan of watching all the movies of the Shaw brothers and blah, blah, blah. And, and that, that, that was really interesting stuff. So uh, in my mind, I see you uh, now, Judy, if he hasn't been doing this, I'm expecting, you know, photographs of his uh, hoe, wielding techniques you know while he practices <laughs> wax dance on work. wax off on, <laughs> wax on. you know what the funny part uh, is i did it for like five minutes and i was gasping i thought <laughs> this is too bloody hard i'm not doing this anymore but the best part is when a neighbor will come by and i love doing this and they'll say oh that everything's looking so beautiful i mean you're doing just such amazing work to which i'll chime in yeah we put a lot of thought into this and um you know, it's something we like to do. I've probably done five minutes out of the last six months of it, you know. <laughs> drives her nuts. And then Rich, Richard <laughs> on the roof painting, like, the bull nose. You know, we have a little Victorian place and painting the bull nose in his, um, I call them compression pants. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like me calling them that. It sort of infers. I don't that, want you know. to see that picture. That's just not the picture that <laughs> I want to see. You can't erase that image. You got yeah, no, to no, spread the love, John. You got to spread the love to the neighborhood. Come but, on. But I sold Pe it. People are doing it hard. What else can I do? And you know how I, I, sold, I sold it to him on. It's really warm up there because we get a lot of shade around our house, you know, because Richard likes the tan. So he had the top off. And then I guess. So meanwhile, she's outside on the on the ground with her lounge, sipping an iced tea, <laughs> staring up at you <laughs> in your compression shorts. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so this folks, is this is life. what uh, your typical uh, martial artist, actor, actress, couple, power couple get into uh, when they're not um, filming. Yeah. When the, when the cameras stuff. aren't rolling, as yes. they say, yes, <laughs> just like everyone else, right? <laughs> just like everyone, I, and I think that's, uh, I guess, one of the uh, the most impressive things, or the most, uh, I don't know what I, the word that I'm looking for, but it, it's just what stuck out in my mind the most when I met you, Richard. Which I, so I asked, I said to somebody the other day, I said, "Oh, I'm interviewing my friend uh, Richard uh, on the podcast," and they're like, "Oh, who's this?" And I was explaining to him. And then they, they said, well, how did you meet? And I'm like, uh, um, well, he came in for me to work on him, but how you actually got there, I, I didn't recall. And No, I did. Oh, Judy. you do. Oh, how, did, how did that happen, do Judy? Do you remember John now? No, we can't. Uh, do you not remember how you met Richard? I don't recall how, how, we, how we originally started. Oh, exactly. So Richard was um, getting ready to work on a project in the Gold Coast. So I was coming to you and your wife's yoga studio. Oh, you can become the fire shaper. Fire, fire shaper. And, and at Fire Shaper. And then um, 
one of your instructors, um, sort of blonde, he looks like a young surfy and yeah, he yeah, was talking yeah. about, you know, yeah, he's guy, an American, so. an American guy who used to live in Georgia. Well, he's back in Georgia now, as far as I know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, so he was just saying, and, you know, this is what else we do here. There's this, there's this. And then he spoke about you and the work you did. And I thought, hmm, because at that point, Richard had an injured, what was it? Uh, Achilles heels. Yeah, the Achilles yeah. heels. Yeah, so Achilles heel. I get instinctive. My instincts, because we're really looking for answers, because at that point, Richard had been to sports medical doctors, experts to work with football teams, and, you know, there were so many varying opinions how to help. And I don't know, I just said to Richard, you know, I just think, you know, you know, I talked about John and I said, you know, I think maybe, you know, you should see him, you know, it's like, why not? And that's actually how I came up to you were in your office, and I think I just... Um, yeah, just after the class, I just, uh, you might have been with someone, I just waited and then I came in to um, see you and then I think made an appointment and that was oh. it. Hmm. And, 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 you know, no, this is going to hurt your ego, Richard, maybe, maybe not. Judy's going to get a kick out of it, but I had no freaking idea who you were. You just walked in and I was like some dude with like hurt Achilles tendons. And I'm like, okay, let's get working. You know, and, 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 and even though I'm a, a, a massive martial art movie fan and always been through my whole, you know, kid's career, I never connected any of that until ages into the conversation we were working together. Yeah. Funny. Well, that was, and that was nearly it, John, after the first appointment. I got home and said, I'm not going back there. He's never seen one of my movies, <laughs> has no idea who he's working on. That's it. But I'm seriously, finished. I don't know if Richard ever thanked you enough, but you really um, did your work on him. Because we oh, were man, he brutalized me is what he did. Oh, my God. I, like I, was compassion. I was like, hey, he runs a yoga school. He's supposed to be compassionate. He killed me. But you did. You know what? You told me it'd be nine months for the tissue to reheal, and we did all that scraping, you know, and all that work on, on the tendons. And... I tell you, it's never come back. There's never been a hint of it since. And I, I actually thought going in, you know, that I don't know what I'm going to do. I thought this is the end of it for me. That's how bad, if you remember the inflammation, yeah. everything my yeah. Achilles tendons were. So thank you so much because it's, it's never yeah. come back. That was so like that a, was a a, another ankle on the end of your, the back of your heel, literally. That, And I think that's where I've seen, you know, many cases like that. And I think that's where the, the phrase comes your Achilles heel, you know, like, because when you lose that and you have that ah, problem, everything. it takes you out. Yeah. Cause you know, I, I did that. You know how I did, I, you might remember, I, I like to sprint <laughs> to which people say, why are you sprinting at your age? But anyway, no, not even it. just sprinting barefoot. Of course. Well, barefoot, I like all the earthing thing. Well, don't look With this compression shorts on. Branch. But, you know, I was doing a sprinting during the shooting of Ghost in the Shell, you know, with Scarlett Johansson when we were in New Zealand. And I remember walking on the set once and I was walking over to Scarlett because I used to have to train her and teach her the fight scenes and everything. And I'm kind of like walking like I'm 95 because I couldn't, couldn't bend my Achilles. <laughs> and I see Scarlett, she's looking at me and she just like this, she said, it's time to put the old horse out to pasture. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you said, you know what? If I said, I'm, I'm going to 
didn't say a word, beat the crap out of you. They said, the problem is, is you run, I'm probably not going to be able to catch you, but that's okay, you know. But it was, <laughs> it was bad at that time. Yeah, time to put the old horse out the past. And I was like, thank you. You know, that, that, that makes me think about, you know, like one thing I noticed as well with, with, with the both of you, and which I'm passionate about, is, you know, finding out what, interesting things people do to keep themselves on the on the line of health you know like we i think we all get off the line on either side of the line as we move through our life we've got this straight line that where we feel our best where we can think most clearly where we can be open and feel without having you know too much influence from the outside affecting our emotional state you know and and one thing i noticed with the both of you, first of all, Richard, you're, uh, and people don't have the opportunity to know you personally, but knowing you personally, that you are just an open, you're, you, you like to, to, to have fun, right? You like to, to talk to people in, in humorous ways. You use humor as a tool. Um, it makes you feel good. It makes other people around you feel good. But like, there is no question that you're all heart, right? There's no question. And when, Judy, when I met you, I don't even know if you do any head thinking at all, like because you're fully thinking with from from your heart, full stop. So, and and you use your gut to make dis, indi, you know decisive decisions, you know, like you did, like oh, I think I really need to. He needs to go see this guy. So that's like a gut instinct, and and so that that being like a a great quality because it's it's especially now with all this stress, there's a lot of head thinking going on. And when you know what they say when you when you're in your head. Uh, you're dead you know if you're stuck in your head you're dead and like you can't you got to get out of that and had so that being one of the core things about your health I also noticed that both of you are extraordinarily healthy like just you know you, you your your bodies are in good shape your skin is well you're looking a bit old Richard but uh, <laughs> Judy looks great you know <laughs> no your skin is in in great condition you're you're well hydrated uh what what are some of the things that you do? What, is there a morning routine that you do every single morning? Are there some like core do not do things that you don't do? Like share some of your 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 knowledge. Either of you, yeah. you got this. Yeah, you got this. Um, yes, look, I, it's true, uh, John. Health has always been a part of both our lives. You know, I, as you know, I started martial arts when I was an eleven year old. So the good thing about that as a kid is that my whole life was geared around fitting everything else into being a martial artist as opposed to establishing a work life, a nine to five job and everything, and then trying to find time for fitness and health, if that makes sense. Like I became fascinated right after getting into judo and then starting karate with being the healthiest I could be, merely to be the best martial artist I could be. So I started fasting when I was 14 years of age. You know, I bought a book by Paul Bragg called The Miracle of Fasting. And I would only eat six days a week. Um, and I would do three-day water fast. And I even did for right through my teens and later than that, some a couple of 10-day water fasts a year where I just drink distilled water, a little bit of honey and a little bit of cider vinegar as a toxic dissolver. So I got in some very good habits very early on and this is aside from god i used to do food rotation and everything like i was fascinated with the whole idea of health and again more as a supplement to being a martial artist 
but those habits have carried me all the way through. And I, you know, my biggest advice to people, even today, and you know, I Judy doesn't like talking about age, but I don't care saying that I'm <laughs> I'm seventy years of age now. And no the way. habits that I've oh my, I, I had no idea. Unbelievable. Yeah. Thank you. You look like but you're it's, there's, there's habits, and, and my advice to everybody is it's just be consistent, and I think we're consistent. You know, like there's days when you don't want to work out, you don't want to do this, but we try and do just something to be consistent. I, be I believe to keep the body on constant standby for stresses that you're going to impose on it, you know, in a physical sense or even a mental sense. And I think, again, the, the martial arts has been fantastic. And I tell you the other beauty of martial arts for me is I've often said that I believe, and I'm generalizing, by the way, of course, that most adults are living with previously learned skills. They learn to ride a bike when they're a kid. They learn to play basketball or cricket or whatever. And as adults, they get into their working life and they're usually just relying on previously learned skills. Whereas with the martial arts, given that you have the desire, you have the opportunity to learn something new every day of your waking life. There's always something new to learn within the arts. And I think that's incredibly stimulating. And for me, it's a passion that just makes me want to get it up every day, you know, to, to try and apply something new I've read about or looked on a YouTube or learned from somebody. And I think that's a bit of a key for me. And, and at this stage of the game, <clears throat> Again, with no, I'm not even inferring that I was an elite athlete, but let's use the term. I just don't find the need to be an elite athlete anymore. I love teaching. I love doing seminars and everything. But I'm also, and I think Judy's the same, we're very okay with having that downtime during the day. We might top and tail on the couch and have a little 20-minute nap without the guilt that normally goes with that, without the guilt of, oh, I should be achieving something, I should be out doing something. And I think that balance has been incredibly important for us, and I think it's a big contributor to having a healthy mind and body. How, do, you still, uh, do you still fast? Yes, I do. Yeah, we're, we're, Judy and I are both pretty much on 16-8 now, which people would know about, you know, where you're eating over an eight-hour period and, and fasting for 16. So we might have a breakfast and a lunch and then something early afternoon and then we won't eat until the next day. So your body's on a, you know, is on a fast for 16 hours and which time all you really do is have, have water, maybe a, a weak tea or something like that. So yes, we're, we're still fasting and I'm still a total believer in the idea of fasting. I've very much gone into, you know, you'd know about Wim Hof, you yeah, know, doing it. the Wim love Hof breathing. Mm. Yeah, love it. And cold showers every morning, which is a very much yes. a disciplinary thing. And obviously we can get into how that stimulates red blood cells and everything else and the fight or flight, you know, reflex in the human body and learning to, to be able to handle stresses. You know, that's a whole other in-depth thing. But, yeah, so, again, and it's not that I've been doing Wim Hof very long, but, again, I think we're both very open to what else is there out there that we can learn and apply to our lives that's going to help our quality of life, you know? Mm. What, about, what about you, Judy? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think? Oh, Bugger um, all. It doesn't do a okay. damn thing, John. So when I was about eight years old, my mother and father got into yoga back in the late 60s early 70s and 
at that time, um, I used to fall asleep at the kitchen table, you know, and I was told that I had to eat my meat. It was good for me and I wouldn't be strong and healthy without it. And then with my parents coming home, they were behind a cattle truck and anyway, they decided to become, I can't remember, I think it was straight vegan. I don't think it was either even vegetarian so I was like whoopee you know I was like very excited and my sister the same because I don't know for me it was just like yucky anyway eating meat so um so that was the start of say being vegan then I think in my 20s early 20s I started eating a bit of fish without going into all that then um I had a very bad accident in the Amazon jungle had head injuries and, and so forth. And part of my recovery, because of the background with my parents doing yoga and esoterics and things like that, I already had a lot of belief about the mind-body connection at a very young age. And um, I started finding researching because ways to get well um, because, you know, I went to neurosurgery, there were so many If I can just butt in, just so anybody listening gets an idea, because Judy, she doesn't like to go back to any of that. That's past, it happened, and so be it. But, you know, she, she was in the Amazon jungle, you know, for people that may, the older ones will remember, Elby Mangles, you know, Judy went away and did World Safari, which was a documentary series that Elby did. They went to the Amazon jungle, they're in a Jeep. The cameraman, Elby and Judy, a bus hits the Jeep. Judy's head hit the dash, so she's in a hospital in Manaus in Venezuela with a 2% chance of living. Wow. So 180-degree skull fracture, and, and you know, there, was, there was no thought yeah. of her even making it through. But anyway, you know, that's how serious that issue was, which led, well, I just know, and regardless of Judy not wanting to talk about it, led her onto a whole different journey of acceptance and realization you know when you have something as tragic as that happened i always say that people people in life it's very easy to always look at the downside look at COVID 19 oh i can't go out oh i can't go to the gym there's always something to moan and groan about but there's also an incredible upside you know with you get to spend time researching or reading or doing stuff that you don't allow a lot of time for so just, and i think you know, and just to finish what I'm saying, you know, Judy's very much, I've always said the cliche, the glass half full. She'll always look at what she has, not what she doesn't have, you know, which I think is a valuable life lesson. So I guess the point with that is there are a lot of things that I've <clears throat> never talked about. I met Richard, I don't know, three or four years after the accident. So he, Richard knew like, not side effects, just things to do with my condition that, made certain things challenging and I don't really like to verbalize those things for the most part because I just don't want to put energy on it you know just you know what you keep repeating just ha yes. you know keeps happening right so anyway so all that stuff so I you know made a pretty good recovery then when I was uh, I want to say like around 33 I couldn't even believe how this happened I had this rare fungal disease and my biopsy went to Atlanta, Georgia. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And then they said that it was caused by um, bats. And um, we had been in Thailand in bat case, but I couldn't understand like someone so healthy, how it could be sick. And the, the realization I had that at that period of time, 
I was under some stress and I knew my immune system was weakened. And then, so that was a whole other story. I was treated with, you know, um, Amphotericin, you know, that was the drug. drug that I was treated with. But I was because she had it with you know, it's called cryptocosis, you know, it's this this extreme lung infection. Wow. And and you know, the medication Judy was on, it's funny. Yeah. It's not funny. But I was in America at the time and I was talking to a doctor and I was talking about Judy having this and what she's on with this amphotericin. I remember him looking at me and he kind of looks at me and says, Oh, and she's still here? Because I was treated um, it, with the cancer and leukemia, you know, in, in oncology. So my treatment through the IV, you know, I had my insertion point. So for six months, I was on, in there every second down this toxic drug. So after all that, you know, I actually didn't realise I was as sick as what I, what I was, even though it was hard breathing and it was a terrible thing to go through. And that's people going through all this stuff with COVID, I, I can't even imagine because it's just like that, being in that predicament is horrible. Anyway, excuse me one sec, <clears throat> gets me emotional, my throat's going now. Oh. So came through that, so once again, get all healthy and strong. So um, my, you know, I think that when you go through such serious things, the one you're happy to still be alive, a lot of my um, work and career was about the appearance of the physical body. So it becomes very important, um, which it always was to me anyway, just just to, to be healthy and functional. So um, mostly what I do without going on and on and on is, you know, I do my yoga, um, I'm vegan, like, you, like right now I sort of tweak my wrist a bit, so I've had just a little bit of time off, but I pretty well say to myself, like I guess unless it's something major that you have to go on a treatment or medication, I pretty well tell myself we're just going to have to fix yourself. And at the moment Richard's laughing because he says you're going to bed with bracelets on. So I've got like these beautiful natural um, amber from, um, you know, when we used to be in Lithuania, it's just, pretty well raw so I think that they'll keep my wrists warm and um, you know it's it's going to work and I remember when we were in the Gold Coast you were helping me I thought something was wrong with my foot but you couldn't find anything wrong with it so I thought okay there isn't anything wrong with it it's just going to have to fix itself and I guess you know I'll, I'll fiddle and I'll see maybe something's just displaced and I'll sort of fiddle with with myself so like at the moment just business as usual you know I seem pretty healthy I don't do um any you know as Richard said we're pretty well accepting I guess the aging process like I'm really apart from what I eat and put in my body not that it's a good thing not to take vitamins and supplements I just don't yeah Judy, um, she won't take any pills any medication any vitamins you know it's all about I'm all about this because, you know, they've done studies. You can have all the vitamins in the world, the best nutrition, but if the computer, you know, if this isn't working right, none of that stuff even really counts. So I'm just, um, you know, I'm very also aware right now, obviously, um, 
I don't use toxic cleaning products. It's just anything to do with being as, as clean as, as possible. You know, I don't really, I'm hiding my nails. I don't actually be once in a great while I'll have my nails and I just like everything to be pretty well natural. You're right. What, yeah. what fascinates me most is, is that you, you moved from, it, you had plenty of reasons to have problems and to focus on problems, but you moved from your problems towards your your positives, your what aren't your problems, what what's good happening. So that's that's fascinating in and by itself because it happened. Uh, uh, what it seems to me is organically happened by your nature. You ne- necessarily were coached. You might have had coaching from other influences from the outside that maybe developed this within you and. And I think that's with a lot of people. Some people don't have that coaching. And maybe then by ha- listening to something like this, that oh, okay, well, I could embrace that attitude. Um, so that's super fascinating for me. What would you say, and let's talk just quickly, if we can go back to the, the head trauma. I don't want to talk yeah. about the trauma. I want to talk, what was the gift that you had received? What what gift came from that for, for you? Uh personal empowerment because, and I'll tell you why, I was already rich and unmet. Um, I had to learn to read and write, walk. There's a whole lot of stuff. I just brush it off but had to um, have the realisation that career-wise there were things that were just not possible anymore, you know, without going into that. So I would be on set with Richard and it looked like, you know, this, sometimes we've sent you an actress too and you know I didn't want to go into my sob story and you know in the in the past when I was on Sale of the Century my introduction would be this is Judy Green from Sale of the Century or then I was Judy Green that had that terrible accident and Judy Green Jungle Queen oh Judy Green Jungle Queen that's great and when you've been known as given like a label and then you don't have any of that anymore. Wow. Like, where, wow. where's the problem now? So I had to be in a position that I could stand my ground, not feel that I'm this poor person that can't work anymore and I'm just travelling, you know, to something maybe they think with this rich actor, which isn't the case at all because most actors, especially back I then, thought not she rich. was rich. And I thought that was my ticket when I met her. And I just, <laughs> and I just had to... Um, Find the power in not feeling that it's important by having a particular career, I want to say, like, because especially, you know, this in, in America, it's a lot to do with the job you have. So Fritch and I would be at a party to do with the film industry. It's sort of, well, how or not people are interested in you usually Depends a lot on are you right or this, are you that. And if you just kind of don't have something really important to say, you can you sort of feel that there's not that much interest. And I had to think to myself, well, I absolutely don't care. And, in fact, I only want to be friends with people that are aligned with the way I feel. And I actually did find that a lot. And there's actually a lot of girls that I absolutely love that travel with their husbands and and. They feel similar to me, and it's just did I did I answer the question? Yeah, finding your personal power. <laughs> yeah, finding your yeah. personal power. Yeah. Because learning who you are. 
yeah. and, and not being defined by not, not being defined because what it, you do even yes. Um, yes, wow. when I'm just fit doing things that look quite mundane to other people, like mucking around in the nature strips or doing some painting, which I absolutely love. And they're like, ah, this is, you know, our street garden. And I'm like, ah. and, I, and I just, <laughs> yeah, yesterday I thought, I'm winning. I look like I'm a do-gooder, but I'm, I'm elongating my life doing this. I'm sweeping up leaves. I'm full range of motion. I'm getting vitamin D. I'm winning. Yes. You know, wow. it's not like I have nothing better to do, poor thing, you know. She's always doing the garden. <laughs> yeah, right. Anyway. You're right. Yeah. And, and, and it's just a perspective. It's that, that how you see it, the lens that you're looking at it through. It's your choice. I feel totally blessed because, you know, the life traveling with Richard, you know, I've got a husband that loves me. I love him. So I'm so blessed. But I'm not going to rub that in anyone's face. It's like I know that so I can actually... Yeah, just, you know, just feel that I'm so grateful to be in this position to actually have trees to look at and, you know, pick up some weeds or, you know, stuff like that. And um, actually also the other part of this for me is when I look at our area, so we have planet Earth, we are living in this little area. So at least the least I can do from what we pull out of the earth, try and give something back bring the uh, soil quality up or give something back to the, the life that's living under the ground, not even what just you see on the top. So I also feel that that's some small contribution that I can at least try and do something positive in an area, and that's got nothing to do with being a nice neighbour or, you know, okay, it helps the community. But I also um, feel from that sort of thing that at least with our little imprint I can sort of do my best in some small way yeah and that that symbiosis that you have with with the nature around you is is probably one of the things that allows you to feel the health and vitality that you have and and, and you know what when it comes down to just to share this because you had mentioned that she won't take any supplements you know some people who were born on this earth they don't the nature of who they are, their karma, their DNA, their past life, the things that make the energy of that person may not necessarily require the same kind of supplement type of support that another person would, would require. And, and, and to that note, where in my body, how I respond to the world and how, how I live in the world, my body requires support. Like my, my body needs to have extra support. People look at me and say, oh, you're in good shape. You know, like, what do you, you know, you don't need to take all these different things. I say, well, <laughs> I like this because I do all these different things, not because I need them. I had this fascinating experience. Now, I love my doctor who's a Chinese medicine, Western doctor, okay? Lovely lady. Um, and she's, there's some stuff issues with my, mineral and vitamin balances that we're kind of working out and looking at and then she goes oh well this is higher so um you must not need any more of these things and you must and this is good so you don't need to take like it was like a b vitamin or something you don't need to take b's because it's high and then you're doing great and i thought to myself i said you know it could be likely that it's high and doing great because i take them things 
not yeah. not because I don't have them, like or that I don't need them. It, it might be that way because I'm actually adding them into me. And then then you guys are together. And Richard, you could be completely different nature than than her. The rules might be completely different. Do you eat meat, yeah, Richard? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm a total believer in supplements. I always have been. You know, my, my idea, and I've had people say to me, oh, well, you take all these vitamins, the body just, you know, gets rid of it anyway. And I, my thought is that even mentally, and that's the old placebo effect, that when I get up in the morning and I take whatever supplements I believe are good for me, automatically I feel better about myself. You know, it's automatically I'm, I'm weaponizing my body with the fact that I'm taking what I believe is going to help any deficiencies I might have. And I would say to them, you know, if you had a barrel like this with a small opening full of liquid and you added a certain supplement into it, it's going to have that concentration. It's not like it just runs straight out of your body. So my idea that as this is basically being excreted from my body, whatever my body is short on or it needs, it's going to take up and hence the word supplement. So I just feel good doing that, you know, and that's right. where we are. We're polar opposites that way. Judy's, Judy's mind is her supplement. I mean, it really is. It's her attitude. No, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to do all of this sort of stuff. And that totally works for her. For me, I just treat supplements as like insurance. Okay. Okay. I believe and I, and I understand certain vitamins can be, you know, in uh, excess can be quite toxic. So I'm very careful on that. But for most part, points, the supplements are my, my barrier. That's my sort of insurance that I'm going to be healthy and I'm, and I'm going to get through each day a little better, you know. And, and I've always been that way, even with martial arts, because physically it's about trying to excel every time you're on the mat. And so hence I'm, you know, I don't anymore, but I used to take protein supplements and everything, but I don't take as much now, you know, I, I love cider vinegar, for instance, I'm all about keeping the body alkaline, you know, getting rid of inflammation. And so I do a lot of research on what I need to take in that regard. But again, you, you're right, we're, we're polar opposites in that regard. I mean, I couldn't get Judy to take a supplement more than a day to save my life. She'll go once and then that's it. She has no interest. <laughs> but but it works for her, you know. It's evident that it works for her, and I believe what I do works for me. So I think a lot of it is a mindset, just like you were talking about for yourself. Yeah. Judy, Judy's the kind of – and from my observation, Judy, your nature – and this is like sort of my realm of expertise when I look at people that – and I feel like I sometimes I have these insights and these this knowledge point and these gifts that I you know have. How do I have them? I just have them. I don't know. So so this is my illusion of life, right? But when I look at you and I look at you know one day, Richard, she might just turn around and she might take a supplement, right? And there might be a reason. And Judy, you might be called to it, and it may not be for a long time. It just might be for a very short interim, and then you won't use it anymore because you're you sort of like. Your brain is not necessarily the one that's processing your need. You're working more like from your body, your heart, your gut. Your yeah. Like. yeah, I'm not really fixed on anything, but back to when I had that um, cryptocurse, that horrible thing, that I said to myself, I will never let this happen to me ever again. And it wasn't that I was sick. It was like I knew why that had happened, and I've... Uh, I listen to enough people now, like I understand now 
more where I'm coming from in the mind, like, you know, it's just a natural or whatever. And, and you're absolutely right. I think that I'm not fixed in any routine with anything. And the thing with not really taking anything or, or like doing much, I don't have any real routine is that also because we travel, I don't want to ever feel like I'm going to fall apart. <gasps> I don't have my this with me or I don't have that. So I like to just think that which people can just survive in a normal environment, right? But uh, I will say um, with being, oh, well, I won't even bother going down that road with being vegan and being away and that was just a little bit challenging. But, but I learned to make a lot of raw things or just, you know, places that it was a little bit difficult getting, I'd say, the nutrition that I need. So the one thing I will say within that um, for anyone that is, vegan or wanting to be vegan, that uh, I think it's very important to um, at least study charts and know what is in your food so you can at least get um, yeah, a balance that way. And, you know, I think, yeah, it's sort of exciting because Richard's, well, he's eating fish. He used to eat a bit of meat, but um, food eating's more interesting now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm following... Probably the better word is a plant-based diet. 98% of the time I'm having a little bit of fish, but, you know, I grew up eating meat. I'm like typical Aussie, you know, lamb chops and roast beef on the weekend. But I just, well, first of all, it's more suitable for us as a couple that I fall in line with Judy's eating habits because she would hate the idea of meat cooking in the kitchen and the smell of it and everything. So out of concern for her, you know, I was quite willing to go the vegan route and and I'm loving it just oh, because hang on, hang on. she's coming up with such amazing dishes and I never knew you could turn tofu into so many things. <laughs> so that's kind of good. But I also am realistic when I go, yeah, I just feel like I need a bit of fish. I need that little bit of, you know, protein that I'm not getting from the plant-based stuff. So, you know, we, we're lucky that we sync very well with our ideas of health because obviously if we were polar opposites, that can be a lot more difficult with shopping and what you've got in the fridge and all of that sort of stuff. And I think that I'm not that way, like, I don't know when Rich last had meat, but when we were just away, he was having a bit of meat and he, you know, for a short period of time, we had like a barbecue here and Richard would do some meat on the barbecue. So I don't really judge him for that. I don't really... You never make me feel guilty about that, but it's just by choice. I just don't feel good eating it now. And plus, you, know? you saw what? No, you watched the documentary. No. Yeah, I watched that, uh, you know, that Netflix show, What the Health? Oh, yeah, which yeah. Which I thought yeah. was quite impactful. I mean, I know there's arguments for and against, and athletes that do it, and athletes that no matter what they ate would still be elites. You know, I get all of that, but. The whole idea made sense to me and, you know, we're not, we're not on this to preach to anybody. It's such an individual choice, but I, I'm become so much more aware of how that food ends up on your plate, the process by which animals are, are kind of slaughtered to put food in our plates and it's a huge concern and I think it's, it's something that everybody should at least be aware of and a little more concerned about, you know, the respect with the way that, as I said, that meat ends up on your plate. But that sounds very preachy, so it's no point getting into that. But that's that's part of our belief system, you know, that we're very much in sync with. You know, Judy would often say, and 
here I go. I said, I wasn't going <laughs> to preach, but, you know, she said, oh, people say, oh, I love animals. She'd say, well, no, you don't. You love your dog and your cat and, and maybe horses. your horse, <laughs> you know, but fuck everything else, you know. We'll eat that because it's not our pet. And you go, well, there's a that, lot of truth that in that. even you know? for me when I went back to being vegan and because I get, like, so much information, you know, on my news feed and, they had like the list, like when I was very young and we came vegan. All the everyone was just full like a vegetarian. Now everything's like defined. You're a pescatarian. You're a vegan. You're I don't know keto. There's so many ways people are eating, and everything's defined. And then I was going through this particular thing, and it came to um, uh, vegetarians or pescatarians, and then it was basically it said f the fish. So it was like. It's someone's thinking they're all this and that's like F the fish and I right. thought, that's right. And I I was already going off fish anyway because I sort of, um, there was a picture of this salmon that had cancer in the mouth and then there are a few things just about farming and, you know, a lot of things. The information I changed over, Richard's going to wind me up on that. No, no, no. I, I, I just think that, you know, again, it's... You know, as Judy would often say, how do you know someone's a vegan? Because they tell you, you know, it becomes a very, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it's not about that, you know, and everybody, I've got dear friends that are totally keto diet, you know, carnivores and everything and appear fantastically healthy and everything. I think it's too early to know. I think it takes quite a long time for the ramifications of certain way of eating to sort of manifest themselves. But what do I know? You know, as we know, something that's like so true today, five years, you suddenly find out with certain tests and experimentation that's the opposite of what people thought. So who do you know? You can only go by your gut and what you feel works you feel, for yeah, you, yeah. both mentally and physically. And an experiment. And trying to do an experiment yeah. an experiment with different ways you know i'm yeah. I, I eat meat um I, i'm maybe 70 80 percent of what's on my plate maybe even more is vegetables you know my wife will present me with a giant plate a heap <laughs> and and then really and then there's a couple of bits of chicken and something else on the top and i'm like oh i don't know if i can eat all that and she looks at me and she goes like it's basically just a giant lettuce bowl of Vegetables. Food. Yeah. yeah, basically. And she's like, if you can't eat that, then you're not a man. You need to eat that thing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, but yeah. one thing I find fascinating is because I am very much into the nature of people, how people are so different and, and they're not willing to experiment with how their nature is. And then, Judy, you have this uh, intelligence about the process of being a vegan where that a lot of people don't have that about vegan or vegetarianism. They just think you know what? I'm not eating meat. I said, okay, well, that's a great decision. However, are you going to teach yourself how to become a vegan? Who is teaching you how to be, a, especially vegan? Who's teaching you yeah. how to be a vegan? Who's teaching you how to be a vegetarian? What education are you giving yourself so that you know yeah. that how to get the nutrients that you're looking for? Because look, yeah. you, you mentioned Netflix and that one movie, and then the, just the more recent one would be The Game Changers, right? There's a very yeah. big oh, vegan very big vegan movie now like the information as i watched the podcast with the creator of it along with joe rogan i'm, I'm listening to the podcast it was a highly charged pop podcast and um yeah he's very passionate the the, the, the gentleman who created them very very passionate but one thing as that was Joe, on the other as side as right as Joe, yeah <laughs> highly passionate yeah so one thing that yeah. was teased out of the entire podcast if you listen extremely carefully was that it's first of all, 
um, vegetables are for everyone, right? Everyone vegetables are for. Being a complete vegan, everyone can do. However, you really need to educate yourself on how to do it and you have to be willing to do the work. And it may be for like Judy, it may not be a lot of work. Her body, the nature of your body, Judy, just might respond so much easier, so much better. Whereas Richard, it might require more tweaks you might have to have more lentils. You might have to have more activated nuts. You might have to have more certain things that she doesn't need because of, look at you. You look at the size of your, your you guys are just different bodies, you know? And, and so I think the biggest error that people make, and I always said this in my practice, I always listen, 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 listen. And I'm like, okay, great. Who taught you? Because they'll come in, people will come in to me and say, I, I have all these, they'll go through their list of problems. I'm like, and I'll just listen as they're downloading their issues to me. And then they'll say to me, but I eat very healthy. And meanwhile, they're 30 pounds overweight, 15 kilos overweight. Their skin is terrible. They're dehydrated. And I'm like, okay, great. Start first with answering my question, what does health mean to you? And then their, their definition could be, you know, as long as I'm awake, I'm healthy. As my eyes are open, I'm healthy. I'll go, well, well this is your issue because, you know, clearly you need a better definition of health to, de to define more parts of your experience. You know, some people define it as a physical outlook. I, if I look good in the mirror, I'm healthy. I go, yeah, but your brain, it doesn't work at all. Like you're not clued in, you're out with the fairies, you know, you're, you're not sharp, you're not clear, you know, your definition of health. And then it always boils down to with the vegetarians and the vegans that I see very few. Judy, you're one of the very few, my wife, one of the very few that does the work to learn yeah. how to eat to get the nutrients they need. It's very, it's, it's, it's something you got to teach yeah. yourself or yeah. find a teacher. Well, yeah, we're, we're luckily we're both very curious, you know, me, you know, again, Judy's reading was affected by the accent. So I'm sort of the researcher, but every time an issue might come up with the immune system, zinc or B12 that, you know, obviously vegans can have a shortage of and everything. You're right, but, but I, thank God I love researching. You know, I, I will get online and I'll find as many pros and cons and everything of a supplement or something in food or what sort of nuts are best. You know, we always have walnuts and almonds there in the shell, crack them, make sure we get a handful of those a day. So, yeah, I, it, it does take work and it does take knowledge and you do need to know because what could be more important than something you're doing every day in your life, and that's shoving food and in your mouth? And as they say, people know, you know more about their car sometimes. So we're yeah, very lucky. That's one of the things we're very aligned with, even though we do it differently. We're both interested in in longevity and wellness and all that sort of stuff. So that definitely helps. So mm. it sort of keeps us both going in that sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Fa I, I mean, I find it fast. I, I find I am also ex extraordinarily curious. I'm always, that, that's probably the key to most people's success is the more curious you can be, the more you can, you can learn, the more that you can grow from. You know, the curiosity is a, an ultimate superpower, I believe. It's yeah, I've, I just did a little, and it applies in all areas. You know, I just did a little Zoom class for some of our Zendokai people. And one of the biggest, you know, I try and hit them with a whole lot of different myotatic reflexes and arcs of tension and blah, 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 blah. And I say, I know there's a lot of it over your head, but, but you need to run with 
these little bits of information and everything. In other words, I keep saying, just keep being curious. You know, don't go to a class as a martial artist and just wait to be hand-fed by your instructor and then you don't think about it until the next class you go to. Go home and be curious. Become your own instructor. Become your own teacher because there, there's such a plethora of information out there, for goodness sakes, you know, a click of a mouse and you'll find information on whatever, but it takes you being curious and wanting to enrich yourself with that information, whether it's in martial arts, in Judy's case, whether it's in gardening, whatever it is, you know, I think I think that's very important that we, as you said, just just be curious, you know. And not to lose it at a certain age. So I think what, say, in our age bracket, that you're aware of people around you, how they're healthy, as even if they're athletes, and when they just let it go. And I think the fact that we're both still so interested in the wellness aspect it's probably one of the key things really isn't it the most important things because you know grace of god i put a like a number on my age that if i don't reach it it'll be fun trying to get there though but at least i haven't like some people hit a certain age and they sort of think oh, probably only got it whatever years left in it you know so they start dying before they're even close to it. Right, 100%. One of the, one of the interesting exercises that I do, uh, I host uh, some personal development programs, one particularly called Release the Quantum You. And, and one of the core exercises that I do is I have the participants close their eyes and I want them to imagine a 90-year-old person. So if it's a girl, a 90-year-old woman, imagine a 90-year-old woman. If it's a man, imagine a 90-year-old man. And then they really, they'll, they'll go deep. And then when I pull them out, I say, okay, guess what? You have just imagined yourself at 90 years old. You have just created the version of who you are working towards becoming at that age. Now, and then I'll have them go back in. I said, the good news is you're not 90. I said, go back in. Let's work on the version of it. And then we recreate, mm -hmm. we paint a new avatar for them at 90 years old, which then turns out to be really a wonderful exercise. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah. That, that is wonderful. And touching on that, I was watching the morning show and Olivia Newton-John was on and she was mentioned uh, something that her husband says that, you know, careful what you say or what the mind is thinking because your body's hearing it, which is exactly what you're saying. So they've just implanted that new idea. So um, anyway. I'm all with that. Yeah, oh, it's it's it's, uh, it's fascinating, and uh, and Richard, maybe you could. Uh, I mean, uh, you must be be interested in imparting some of this wisdom on uh, your. I know you're working on a book. It's not, like you just told me earlier that you're working on a book, and then before we had this podcast, and I go, you know what? He should write a book about something for sure. He's got to be writing a book about something, and I, I had no idea. But like, we look forward to. So there's a lot of. Because you know what? People have a lot of information today. You, like you said, they can go on Google, they can click, they can do this, they can do that. But when you read, I think, a book, you're getting more than information. You're extrapolating the energy of the person that created it, but you're getting wisdom. We, we have information, we have that, but we lack the wisdom around it. What, it, what are you looking forward to, to sharing in, in this exciting endeavor of yours? 
Well, John, first of all, the book's been like 10 years in the making as always, you know, but I, I, I've just been reinvigorated about the idea of it. Because like I said to you, you know, do, doing what I've done, you know, I, I worked as a personal bodyguard for like 20 plus years with the Rolling Stones and Joe Cocker and David Bowie, James Taylor, and on and on it goes, ABBA. So it's been an amazing experience, speaking of what the average person goes through, you know, then 40-year career in the movie industry. So I've had people say to me, oh, you need to write a book. But immediately I thought, well, what they're meaning is the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They, they kind of, they're interested in the idea of the shit that goes on, say, on a rock and roll tour. Or it could even be on a movie set, you know, being around some some incredibly high-profile actors. And I thought, well, I would never, ever do that. I was always in such a confidential position working with artists. I had a joining room every party, every gig they went to, I was with them. So I, in a sense, became a little bit like the set hairdresser, you know, on a movie. You know, the makeup artist is the one that's with that artist from where to go in the morning, sort of debrief and takes all their stuff off at the end of the day. And they tend to get very chatty, you know? And so we always joke that the makeup artist knows more about that leading star than anybody else. And I, I was kind of like that. You know, the idea of being a bodyguard is not this big dude sitting around because I'm not big. You know, I didn't look like a bodyguard and I became more of a confidant and in some ways almost like a babysitter. So I thought, well, the last thing I want to do is write a kiss and tell book. I hate hearing about, you know, the ex-chauffeur or, or whatever it is that writes this book and exposes all the shit that people go through because everybody's got shit in their lives should it be, you know, laid out on the table. So then I, I dismissed the idea and then I thought, well, it would be really interesting to write a book about what I call lessons learnt from people at the top of their game. And people at the top of the game could be a Chuck Norris or a, a Jack Chan or a David Bowie or a James Taylor, people that have had careers that have just gone basically tens of years and you think there's certain ways they behave and act and everything else in their daily lives that, have allowed them to achieve a certain level of longevity in their careers or excellence. So that was the basis of it. And I'm looking and I would look back at certain things that people would say or do, uh, you know, the artist in question, and I tried to work out, well, what's something, what's a lesson I've learned from that that I could apply to my life? And more importantly, if I wrote about it, the last thing I knew would be of any use is a about Richard Norton, who gives a shit, you know? But I thought if I can relay lessons and stories from being in the presence of great people that most people would never, not, you know, get the chance to, to, to have that experience and that they could read a chapter and actually apply that lesson to their own lives. In other words, cause, a bit, cause some introspective thought and, and maybe make a little change. And I... I before I give an example, it really came that I thought there's a lot of lessons that I learned from people in my life that it's been years later that I've suddenly gone, oh, God, I remember when so-and-so said that. Now that makes sense to me. You know, in other words, there's a lot of things that you learn that you will immediately appreciate the value and apply it. And there's a lot of things that come much later. Hence the title of the book I decided was In the Moment with Hindsight meaning some lessons were learned in the moment and some years later in hindsight. And the purpose of the book was to hopefully make people 
sort of be aware of being more in the moment, more open to the possibility of a lesson to be learned from somebody that's right in front of you. And that could be your wife, it could be somebody you work with or whatever. In my case, I'm talking mainly about rock and rollers or certain artists in the film industry. So that's the premise to the book. And, and you know, because we know that a lot of times you, you're with people and all people really talk, think about is what they're going to say next as opposed to what's this person really, what's what are they saying to me? And that's, you know, a lot of, conversations are very trivial in that, but sometimes it can be quite deep and meaningful should you be open to the prospect of learning something. And I, 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 an example might be, you know, I had a, um, I, you know, a lot of the stuff that I would talk about in the book would obviously come back to that through line of martial arts for me, you know, and I had a, a, you know, a situation with, a, uh, I was on tour with Linda Ronstad. For those who don't, the younger ones, Linda was almost like Beyonce in her time, you know, 10 Grammys and everything else in rock and roll. She sang country and western and all the rest of it. Um, but I was on tour and we were doing these Mexican love songs, you know. Linda has a Mexican heritage, you know, as well as a German father and, so she had this passion for love, these Mexican love songs. Anyway, we're in, we're in this back room, you know, uh, rehearsal sort of stage before we're going out. And there were two, there were, what we had as the backup band was one of the best mariachi bands in Mexico City, out of Mexico City, singing, you know, playing one particular gentleman was supposed to be one of the two living masters of the Mexican harp, which is like this big wooden, instrument and I've got to tell you these guys off stage were the biggest rebel rousers we you know they would drink they would chase after every female they saw and everything else in other words they were the antithesis of what you would sort of look at as being an artist and the background before I tell you the little incident was I have a book called Zen and Japanese culture that I've had since a teenager it was written by DT Suzuki and it's really about Zen and the, where the mind is for the martial artist or the samurai, as it were. Talks about the tea ceremony and all those sorts of things. And part of what he talks about is the mind of the, the swordsman when they get to this, what they call mushin or no mind, where they're basically the sword is there. They're not reacting. They're not driven. They're just totally in the moment and reacting to what is. In other words, not thinking, gee, he's going to hit me with this strike, so I'll block here, because they call that a suke, where you'll have a stoppage of the mind, mm. where that creates an opening for the other swordsman to strike you down. And there's a term they use, myo, M-Y-O, with a little asterisk over it, that talks about this state of um, kind of what you're doing just flowing through you without conscious thought you it's it's the epitome of what we would say an artist does when they they just paint with with no real consciousness to what they're doing it just flows through them and i was fascinated by this idea of this muir of just doing as it relates to a martial artist so cut to this idea of the mexican harp player and he, you know, I was outside and I said, oh, and by the way, I believe his name was Pepe. Go figure, right? Pepe is a Mexican. And I, you know, I said, look, you know, play something for me. You know, play, play a bit of the harp. You know, I really wanted to see. And 
So he was like, oh, no, no, and, you know, like normal sort of character. Anyway, he started playing, and there was never a more, um, like, it was just an example of Muir because I'm watching him start to play, and it's like he'd left his body. Mm -hmm. He had a little smile on his face, and it's like he's just watching his fingers play this instrument, you know, and all these notes and amazing sounds coming out, and I was like, that's it. You know, no wonder he's considered one of the two living masters of the Mexican harp because it was an example of somebody just, it was just channeling through and he was doing what he does. You know, that was what he was meant to do. And that's the sort of example. And funnily enough, you know, we talk about Muir, you know, in martial arts. Well, I, I look at Judy in the garden. She's doing that, you know, I recognize that because when Judy's out there, it's like time doesn't exist. She gets up sometimes at five in the morning, she's out in the nature strip and all she's thinking about and her hands are covered in dirt, that's no different, you know. Art is individual expression and whatever your passion is and you can get into that headspace where you just do. It's, I think it's quite rare and I think it's an incredible thing to witness. And that's sort of an example, you know, of a chapter in the book where if, if people could really try and find something they're passionate about to get lost in, I think what a healthy uh, balance to the stresses of what we have to do in life as opposed to what we can choose to do that really sort of balance us as human beings, you know. That's that. That's and, that. Uh, that's that curiosity. That curiosity. I'm sorry to cut you off, Richard. I just. I'm, yeah. I'm just. I'm with. I'm with that. A hundred percent. Like where that you become curious as to um, that there is. First of all, this Muir state exists, and in the modern world. So for our modern sort of Western culture, that the the term has been coined flow. So once you're in your yeah. flow state, you know it's it's then. Uh, I'm working on a project as well in, in relevance in, 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 around that flow state. But once you identify that you're actually in a flow state, then that curiosity goes, well, what did I do to get here? If I wanted to come back to here again, what, what would I do to get back to here? Actually, as a matter of fact, you know what? What are five things or three things that happened for me to actually arrive in this state that I wound up in? Like how did, and then, what do I need to do to repeat that? How you know, and, and that whole process of it, that curiosity, just keeps going and going and going and going. Yeah, and you know a great story that I, I reminded of that re relates to this heart player just doing. And by the way, another example I might give of this mule, which to talk about so people understand, it could be as simple as a spider spinning its web. You know, you watch a spider, and we can't get in the mind of a spider, but it's, you know, it's a metaphor, but you watch a spider spin his web, the wind comes and breaks the web and the spider falls down. You don't imagine the spider going, oh, fuck, now I've got to start all over again, you know? <laughs> Shit. It just goes back to spinning its web because that's what it does, or a beaver building a, a dam. Do you know, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it's what they're doing, and... I remember reading about Sir Laurence Olivier, who, for those who remember, was just a legendary, iconic actor, and he was doing a stage play in London. Some of his peers were there, and I, I can't remember who, but very well-known and acclaimed actors. And they watched just a particular form, performance that Sir Laurence Olivier gave. And I was trying to think of what it was. It doesn't really matter, but they were so moved 
don't know what it was. But they went backstage and, and part of, you know, I'm paraphrasing, they said, oh, that was so amazing. You know, um, most incredible performance, you know, how did you do it? What did you do? Uh, okay, so let's go to me. Must have triggered an emotion. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I can't wait for the share. <laughs> by, by the way, folks, when, when what, you can, what you can tell right now is that when this book happens, the, the skill that this gentleman has in weaving stories into the actual like the actual lesson or the actual insight or, or how, can, how can this add value to how you experience the planet? His skill in being able to take stories to relate is, what, is what's entertaining. It's not the, it's not the, uh, it's the kiss, not the, as Richard would say, it's not the kiss and tell. It's not the, the secret is in the story of what got you there and that will bring you into that, that deep state of learning. Hey, yeah, I, you know, sorry, I don't know why. It's it's sometimes when um, I don't know. There's certain little things in your life that you you probably think you'll never get to witness, and when you do, it's quite impactful. Mm. That you know, I know people go, "What the hell is going on?" But <laughs> you know, but but again, getting back to when they asked, you know, what did you do? You know, that's when he broke down in tears because he said, "I don't know. Mm. I don't know what I did." And it upset him so much to think that he may never be able to replicate that. Mm, but wow. again, in my mind, Dear. I mean, what a pure expression of art where there is no conscious, you know, affectations or anything like that. He was just doing, he was just expressing. And I thought, martial arts, that's what it's about. Not all this conscious thought, you just do, you know, you just become, as they say. Yeah. I mean, I remember getting painted by an artist, you know, that Judy and I, he wanted to enter us in the Archibald. And I just remember this, you know, I'm sitting there, he just wanted to paint me and he's painting. And I just, I was so intrigued by his look and his, he just wasn't there. I mean, he almost looked like an alien to me. And again, it was another expression of somebody just, just doing, not trying to be an artist, trying to look like one, all of that. He was just so in the moment, you know, that, it, that, that it's very moving when you see examples of that. And I don't know, that's why it sort of hits an emotional chord with me because I believe for, for people to be able to experience that or at least be a part of that or be in the presence of that, is is an incredibly rewarding thing. It's, a, it's it's so rewarding when when even as a in my family unit watching a child or watching my wife like when you watch Judy in flow in her in her state in the garden. I watch my child in flow doing something that is just completely just that child's thing. Uh, then to be able to catch yourself in flow and then. And then post that, reflect upon the state. Uh, I've been fascinating uh, about when I'm working with somebody, I'm now not working on the state of flow, but, but I notice that there's a depth that I go to that everything else shuts off. And then I'm able to work and funnel through as if I'm 
I have this saying now, and, and the saying is that when I have a patient with me and then we're, we're there, it's not me working on that person any longer. It's not like that. And I, I was saying that to somebody else because they were just like, how did you do, like, how did that all happen? Like, where did that come from? I said, to, I said it's just a few words. I said, together we are one. Like, together we are one. When we are doing this, this is not me on working on you. This is not you being worked on. Together we are one person working. And then that is, and so my fascination with that recently is, and, and a pet project, which I'm just working the just, I don't know, maybe it's timing. I'm not really sure, but uh, is actually just to film the process of it all, actually to, to, to witness that and, and not consciously having to walk someone through it, just film the entire process because I'm very verbal the entire time. I'm talk, 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 And it's not talking about frivolous things. It's like talk, 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 talk. We're talking it together as one person within the being, within the, within the zone. And, and to watch that actually happen, I thought, oh, that would, be really, that would be really interesting in a sense that how would that add value to other people? And I think, well, it's the same way that your book would when you're back into that flow. I, you're in the flow state, writing the stories. It's the same, it's the same thing. How does it add value? It just, it just does because that, that's what we can relate to. That's pure mastery. And, and I think, again, it's about lessons. You know, it's, it's, if somebody can take something from it. Um, it's like, you know, I, I know you might have heard me tell this story about, you know, we're talking about curiosity and, and I, I have a, you know, one of my favorite mantras is I hate the word mediocrity. You know, I hate, I hate being okay. You know, there's so much mediocrity in everyday life where people are, oh, I'm good enough, I've done enough and everything like that. And, you know, I've always said that excellence, I believe, is unattainable, but journey toward it, of course, is not, you know. And I love telling the story about Keith Richards, which is another, again, example of a chapter in the book that it was in a press conference. He was asked about playing Jumping Jack Flash. And this reporter said, oh, okay, don't you get sick of playing Jumping Jack Flash? You've played it a thousand times. And he's, again, his answer just stuck with me because he said, which was very surprising to me. He said, no, he said, because I'm still learning how to play it. He said, you might think I'm playing it the same every time you hear it, but every time I go on stage, I'm trying to find a different way to hit a note, different rhythm or whatever. I, I never tr stopped trying to perfect it. In other words, he realized he hadn't yet. So that was the journey, which I relate to martial arts. You can do the pattern and you can look like you're doing the same thing, but what I basically try and encourage students is there's got to be a different expression every time you do it. There's got to be some other way that you can express that physical movement, you know, in your martial arts, which keeps it alive, it keeps it evolving, you know, because I often say I don't want to, and I got that from Keith with, with that answer that I say I don't want to be the same martial artist I was five years ago, ten years ago. How fucking boring would that be? You know, I want to I want to feel and express martial arts so differently today. Whether it looks the same, like from somebody looking in, it's a whole different feeling for me. And maybe I'll get back to where I was ten years ago. But that journey of discovery and curiosity that we keep talking about is is important. And I often say this is what people miss about. People like a Keith Richards or or a David Bowie, they they see this product on stage. What what they so often miss is the passion 
the absolute passion. You know, I would say that I'm, when I was touring with Fleetwood Mac, there's never a day on the tour bus that Lindsay Buckingham wouldn't be playing with that guitar, trying to find a different note, you know? Linda Ronstadt, there wasn't a week she wasn't trying to find a new voice coach to help her hit a different note, to hit this different place. In other words, never satisfied, always curious, and always on that journey towards excellence. And I think, you know, that's, that's again, some of the stuff that, that I wanted to get across in the book that, you know, Keith, we, I, there's a doco on um, Netflix, and Keith's got to be close to 80 now. And I still, what I saw is the same passion, that same pursuit of excellence as a musician, as a songwriter, as a performer, that was the through line of everything he did. It's not the drug taking, it's not everything else that goes with being on the road. For me, it was an artist just absolutely curious and not being satisfied with mediocrity and i think that's huge hey uh judy um now you i know this is this is your realm um what are three things that it will take to get the big guy doing the actual book what will it take um what does he need yeah what does he need it says um, you looking in. What do you see that that is just yeah, what does he have work. to do? I can't get him to do anything. Oh, no, I have so. <laughs> but you won't get him to do it. You got him to hit with hoe, like to dig something. No, dig, I think that there are two yeah. things. There is hope. We have this joke about you are. Trickery is what it is. Um, oh, get up on the roof. You'll get a suntan. It'll be really good for you. And here I am. Who Who's the sucker right here? No, I think, I think <laughs> the problem is sometimes... That's why I didn't originally want to talk, not that I think that I said anything interesting, but I think even though people might tell you, yes, it's interesting or the book would be interesting, for yourself, it's not, I don't know, there's something weird about it that makes it hard for you to push to really... I look at, Donna, you know, probably answering for Judy, but I... It's always, I mean, I think every, you talk about mediocrity, but I think that's funnily enough a part of it that you go, well, what stories have I got? Well, would anybody really care, you know? And we're talking about negative, and here I am being negative to the point of view that I don't want to put something out that two people would even have any interest in, you know? And it's, it's only that one of those podcasts I did that we started talking about it, and I got out some of the notes that, my friend Peter Jessup had written, and I was looking at it anew and afresh, and I suddenly went, you know what, this is pretty good. There's some lessons. I mean, I was reading it almost like outside of the experience, and that's what reinvigorated my interest. It's hard. I mean, I don't know whether you've ever written, but I'm already realizing it takes a lot of work and a lot of commitment to sit down and put those chapters down and write them. I, I will do it. And you know what, I'm not unhappy that it didn't come out 10 years ago because the journey continues. There's so many updates already to my life journey that I can include in the book, so that's a good thing, you know. The fact that seven years old, I'm still working in the industry, still doing what I'm doing is is not a bad thing in itself, and I, I think there's some good, good stories there. So. Yeah, and I think that, um, to your point, yes, it's, a good question, but I guess everything in divine order, like sometimes delays 
Well, Richard's saying it's good because there's been other things that have happened in our life as well that probably gives more depth to it. And it's not like there's a rush because I guess if it's good material, it's always kind of good material. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, we're just sort of living in the moment. I remember, I remember my, my, um, my martial arts, my sensei, uh, and, and this is the gentleman that I trained with since I started when I was 10. And uh, he gave me two books one day. He gave me, he goes, this is the, it was the Bible of Bushido. I can't remember the name of the book, but it's this very old text and not many were released. And it's all about pressure points and more of the internal art. And the other book he gave me was, is called the Chini Sang, which is an internal organ massage. It's uh, by Mantak Chi, I believe it was. And it, that it was thick, 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 500 pages, something ridiculous. And he handed me these two books and I was like, okay, great. And when I, I looked at them and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start reading this book. And I opened up and I, I read like three pages. And, and the other one I opened up and I looked at the pictures. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can read this. Like, I just can't get through it. And mm. it wasn't long after, uh, it could have been, could have been a year, could have been two years after. I mean, I sat on these in my, in my house for ages and one night I picked up this Chini song, this book, and I picked it up and I just started reading. I finished it that night in full yeah. clarity. I, I, and a hundred percent that I could remember a full intake. It just filtered into the brain. So maybe some part of it is, you know, when it's right, when, when the button is ready to be pushed, it'll just be pushed. And it also reminds me of two other things. I, I, I hope you don't mind me sharing. And so I'm interviewing you. I'm not. You're interested. <laughs> yeah. But two, two other things. Uh, the, the first one was that I am aware of myself. I shared with you a little pet project, which I haven't done yet. And I'm aware within myself that the, one of the reasons, the core reasons why I haven't really done it yet has to do with, and so the first part of that is, uh, will people be interested like, is it interesting? And then, like, inherently, I know it's interesting, right? Uh, it's just, but it's really then comes, that only comes up because I ask, I, I have doubt or I, the question is that I ask, am I good enough? Like, it always comes um, down, that came down to me. Am I good enough to do this? Because to, to, I know so many people that I believe that I look up my men, that I look up them, they're like, wow, am I good enough, right? Like, they could be doing that. Well, so that being the one thing. And so then it reminds me of one other story, which is in one of my most favorite books. And one of my most favorite books is uh, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And what an interesting gentleman, this guy. Like, if you look at his life and how he dedicated his life to his flow state, where he was most, in, like, like having the most amount of fun. He literally worked for the United States. It was Theodore Roosevelt. I can't remember the president, but he worked for the pre this president for nothing. And the president came to him and said, I have to pay you. He goes, I want a dollar a week. So he worked for $1 a week, like day and night. And he, the value of that, he knew that he could write and what he was learning from what he was writing. And, and in that, he wrote all these manuscripts. And out of all the manuscripts that he wrote, he only approved one to be launched into, you know, like publicized. And that was his book, Think and Grow Rich. And then it wasn't until um, he passed and that the Napoleon Hill Foundation took over 
that they began, and I hope I'm getting the story right, but I'm fairly sure I am. But the Napoleon Hill Foundation released other parts that he had written. And so he wrote another book called Outwitting the Devil. Unbelievable, unbelievable text. Really good. But I suspect that he didn't release it. And, And also I think he leads when he discusses it that he, was it him that discussed it? I think he was discussing that he only felt like this is the one that could go. That what held him back from releasing the other material was he didn't believe that he was good enough to, to release the material. It was too right. controversial for its time. And he felt like he would be a witch. He would be like considered a witch, you know, for, for releasing. Yeah, I'm going to have a conversation with the devil and I'm going to publicize that on, in, in, a, in a manuscript. <laughs> <laughs> go, yeah. go figure, right? Even, on, even with Think and Grow Rich, I found it fascinating at the end of the book where he's having, he's meditating and having uh, um, meetings in another dimension, as he, as he says, with uh, his mentors, you know, Abraham Lincoln. And I think there was a few other people that he'd have these. And he said he stopped having these meetings because it became too real for him. But then it was at the end of the book and he didn't really get into it, but yeah, fast. Anyway, my, my share on, on my baggage uh, and I, if it helps somebody yeah. out there, then great. Um, yeah. But isn't it good? That's why a lot of people, if, when the ego is not that strong, like imagine how painful some people are a bit like that. They do something really small and they think it's like all amazing, yet someone is sitting on something really great and it's, you know, is it good enough? I think a lot of us suffer from but, that. But you know what also I would add to that, John, that a lot of it is, you know, and kind of what you're talking about is fear. Fear. Fear is going to be accepted. Is it going to be, am I going to look like a dick, you know, whatever. But I love uh, quoting Gus D'Amato, you know, Mike Tyson's trainer. You know, I'm not sure where the original saying came from, but he always, I remember reading where he said, fear is a friend of extraordinary people. Mm. And what he meant by that was, I love that. Everybody fear, it's what you do with it, you know, and, and the fear you have hopefully is what propels you into doing more preparation, more work, more research. And really upping the level of whatever it is that you want to put out there. It's a bit like a fighter, you know. Or I remember reading Nicole Kidman. She said she was scared shitless with every role she accepted. But interestingly enough, she would usually only accept the roles if it scared her. Because oh. the, the fear and everything made her just do more character work, more background and more preparation. And I think that's pretty interesting, you know. So... I hope for me the fear of it not being good enough will make me do a little more work so when it, if and when it is ever put out there, it'll be a lot better than it would have been had I accepted that, what I talked about, that level of just being mediocre, that it's just okay, you know. Even me me having a conversation with you guys. I was going to say, I've I've even seen that with with artists that have been on, you know, with this... Whether it's Linda looking for a new voice coach, it's it's also about her being excellent, but it's also a fear. She never thought she'd go out on stage and be able to sing up to the level of excellence that she believed she should be able. And I think that searching the curiosity to better herself was a result of fear. And again, what made her extraordinary for the length of her career is, again, the fact that she didn't succumb to it. She did the work that would make her better and allay those fears. So I think there's something in that that's... It's actually a good thing. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I mean, you know, I was going to just say that even in having this conversation with you, there was a part of me thinking, am I good enough to actually get the very best 
from from this conversation. Like I don't, I don't want to waste your time, and I don't want to waste the the listener's time. And you know, that's like, yeah, cool. Oh, ooh, I feel that. I said, oh, awesome. Okay, I feel that. Let me. That means that I will do whatever it takes to to, to get the very best from the conversation. If I just thought. Then I realized that if I just thought, oh, yeah, piece of cake, whatever, yeah, blah, 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 then I thought maybe yeah, you, you would tend to just sleepwalk your way through. Right. And that's what I mean about actors. If, if you think you're that good and that prepared, often you'll just, it's almost like just sleepwalking your way. And I don't think that's interesting, you know? It's like a fighter getting in the ring wondering, you know, Benny Akita's Benny the Jet. Always, I remember him saying when he used to fight, for those who don't know, Benny was like a kickboxing legend that I know you know, John. Mm. He was undefeated. And he always said, I never, ever got in the ring wondering, can I last 12 rounds? Can I punch hard enough? Do I have the stamina? He said, so I got in the ring 100% prepared. In other words, he did his homework so he would never have those fears. And he, he basically said, I knew then that if I lost, it was purely because the other person was better, not because I was unprepared or, or you know, didn't do the work that I needed to do. And I thought that's a, that was an interesting other side to the idea of fear. And, you know, and people that get in the ring fearful are usually not convinced they have done enough work to prepare themselves for that combat arena, you know. Yeah. It's interesting. It is. Now, you've done a great job. I was thinking maybe I shouldn't have come on after or maybe I suck. I don't think I want to hear it back. <laughs> oh, unbelievable. I, I, I mean, I think this was the, the, the pivot point for, uh, I think, the energy of the conversation. Like, this conversation could not be like this without you, you present in here. I don't think that we would have gotten this deep, actually, to be honest. I think that we would have just... Skated the surface. No, I think it would, no, think it would have been a little deeper. Actually, what, I think Judy distracted oh. John. <laughs> Manly conversation see, that we could even, have had. I didn't even realize you were talking about me then. See, that's where I am. Man. Oh, that's a that's we don't we don't build her up. Don't build her up. Don't hammer them down. Come on. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm really um, conscious of the time we spent some time here and i know that you guys have things to do during your daytime and i don't want to occupy too much more time but i, I do want to ask some like just funny frivolous question Go ahead, because please. people talk about these zoom and what they're wearing like waist down you're saying you know better my underwear i didn't I didn't expect that I was going to be moving out. And I've got my painting pants on. Can you see the paint? Oh, you can't see it. I've got all my boots on and my painting pants. She's you ready couldn't to see work. it. I thought I could see them when I went out. So that's what I'm doing after here, painting. But well, I, anyway. I noticed that your yoga's paid. Your, your yoga's paid off as you were able to like sneak out like a ninja and then sneak yeah, back right. in the based on you squeeze in and out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought uh, that I would just ask some just not frivolous but they're just you know fun sort of interesting because you have an interesting like life that you've and you've been around many interesting people so if you don't mind me let me just rapid fire a couple of you know short questions to you and see what you got um what let's see all right so let's start with what's your favorite like if you had a gift away a book or there was a, a favorite book of yours um what stands out the most as being like Bang, it's like right up there, number one. 
Well, for me, the book I mentioned, Zen and Japanese Culture. Which is just over there on the wall. Yeah, you know, and I'll tell you, and it really it's, it's more personal than anything else, that, that the book is a, for me is about balance, you know, because uh, as martial artists, you know, there's, there's often a, there's a lot of um, emphasis on the martial, the combative side, and not so much on the art these days. And again, I'm generalizing. What Zen and Japanese culture showed me is that the, that the balance necessary for the, for the samurai, you know, following that code of Bushido where they weren't only versed in the sword and everything, but they also had to be masters of Chanayu, you know, the tea ceremony, yoki ikibana, you know, flower arranging. In other words, the, the softer sides of life where, you know, the tea ceremony was about taking your mind away from this combat arena and going into a totally serene setting. It'd often just be one flower because from the Zen influence, they figured if you had a bunch, you, you missed the individual beauty of each flower. So it was about simplicity, the sounds of the water as it's boiling. In other words, it was, it was a total balance to that warlike mindset that the samurai was often in. And I got that from Zen and Japanese culture. And, and I often say that, you know, one of my sayings, you know, as a result of that with being a martial artist is it's not the two hours on the mat, it's the 22 hours off the mat mm. that's so important. How you behave, you know, your integrity, you know, your honor, you, you, the way you interact with the rest of society, not just when you put a, a karate uniform mm. on, you know. And that, so that's, that's why I love that book because it, it makes me understand that the samurai it was very important that they became gentlemen within the arts, you know, that meditation was a part of what they did. And you get the point anyway, but that, that's, that's one of my favorite books. So um, out, of, out of all, and we'll focus in on the, because you, you, when I said to you earlier, oh, how do you want to be introduced? What's, 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 what's meaningful for you? And you, you brought to the table straight away, look, I've had, done a lot of acting, but I'm most proud of being a martial artist first and actor second. So my question is kind of, relates to both out of all the years that you've been doing this and all the different people that you've met who's the favorite in the acting world that you've worked with that you've had the greatest uh, martial art connection with and and why oh that's a difficult one um i'd have to really think about that yeah i mean there's obvious ones having worked with chuck norris being a martial artist you know but, but that, that's kind of an obvious one. Jackie Chan, of course, you know, is, has been a martial artist most of his life as well, having been brought up in Peking Opera with and then acrobatics and martial arts and everything else. But, but, you know, there's probably not one person for me, John. I do, I do relate to, and I've often said this, like having worked with, say, Margot Robbie, you know, one of her favorite... Aussie stars, it was on Neighbours for four years and now it's just a megastar. You know, I worked with Margot on the first Suicide Squad and now just finished Suicide Squad 2 with James Gunn, which is the one we shot in Atlanta with Margot. When I use her as an example that, that it's her, it's her, I often say to people, the reason Margot is what she is and going where she's going is because of the absolute level of excellence she demands of herself. And when I was training Margot, there's people you train the train because the producers told them they have to or the directors told them. And there's people that train 
because they absolutely want to be the best representation of their character of themselves that they could be. So when you train them, they commit. And I, I was blown away, you know, even with jujitsu, I was training Margot for a little while in the Gold Coast, you know, before the first one. And I just said to Margot, I said, you, girly, you've got to take strength. You know, what you've learned in a month, it would take me a year to teach most people. And it's because when you talk to people like her, she, that she's paying attention, she's taking the detail in. Not only she take it in, but she's able to then demonstrate the fact that she's taken it in and, and made it a part of her own psyche and everything. So I, I find that as a great, that, that to me really marries the whole martial arts kind of idea, you know, when I get that in someone that's not necessarily a martial artist, but shows that they have all the attributes of a great martial artist. And another one without name dropping, but seeing you're asking is Will Smith. You know, I worked with Will Smith at his house for a while before we did, um, you know, uh, Suicide Squad. And again, just total commitment and a total, total drive to be the best he can be. He, he you know, he loved, the, you know, he did where he played Muhammad Ali. So he was... He already had a good idea of hands and everything else, but when we got into the grab and we got into the footwork, we got into the drills that I like to do, he just, it was like a duck to water, you know? And again, why? Because he just demanded the best of himself. And uh, that's probably a couple I can think of. Again, aside from the obvious ones that are already martial artists. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. Um, you know, this has been really really beneficial i know in my heart that people will get a lot of value out of this because um maybe we shared some you shared some really powerful lessons along the way and it like i feel like it was so relatable i'm easily able to relate to you guys where you are and and what you're up to and and for me you're just you know not living the dream, but you are creating, you know, what your life is. You just like sitting and co-creating what it is that you want your future outcome. And so uh, just to finish off, besides the book, what else is coming? What else is on the, on the, on the menu? Well, um, I think I mentioned there's a film called Slayer. It's kind of like medieval swords and everything that, by the way, we're probably going to shoot up on the Gold Coast once everything loosens up. So that's pretty exciting. I'll be doing like more the fight coordinating on that one. And then all being well, we're off into another Mad Max movie with the great Dr. George Miller uh, early next year. That's on the card. So that's very exciting for two reasons. Number one, it's work and we're still working. Number two, it's here in Australia. So that, that's something to really look forward to. After that, who knows? Um, I'm, you know, I still love teaching. I still love seminars. I still love doing what I'm doing. So I would imagine plenty of things on the horizon for us. You know, we will see. I love it. I love I just, it. By the way, sorry, the only other thing I'd give a little plug is I, for a friend of mine, John Ballitz, did a, uh, directed and produced a film called Rage that we shot. Uh, when did we shoot that? Um, last year yeah. but it's in the process of being marketed around it's a crime thriller and uh i play a cop one of the leads and i don't get to punch anybody you know it's a complete little drama for me and i wow. love love doing that i love being in front of the camera so it's again it's called rage whether the title stays the same or not we'll see but that's something that's getting out there so 
it's a very low budget, but I tell you what, the look and the work of the crew and John in making this look like a million bucks is, is fantastic. So I'm quite excited about that as well. I'm so uh, acting oblivious, you know, oblivious to acting. I, uh, what, I'll, I'll just share one of my favorite um, actors, uh, Bill Murray. Um, I always loved his work. And, and it's so funny because I actually had the opportunity to work with him directly for, for uh, many years in, back in New Jersey. And, um, and I don't know much about acting, but my limited, my limited knowledge, I, I just said to him, I said, you know, Bill, I watched the movie and you were in this movie and you were in a tree for like three minutes. I go, can I ask you, why did you do that? Like, why did you go? And he goes, you know what? I was in that tree for an entire day. And if you were there on set and you were there to like, we had more fun with me inside that tree than I've had in a long time. He goes, you know what? Sometimes I just get bored and I want to just get out there and do things. He goes, so that's why I was in that like movie. I forget the name of the movie, but he was in a tree for like very short time. And he goes, that two minutes was actually an entire afternoon. And, uh, and maybe that's why movies cost so much to make because, you know, you have pure artists out there that are just, you know, cracking up for it. And it takes an afternoon to shoot two minutes in a tree. <laughs> it can. You know, it just depends on the day. You know, sometimes you just lose it and sometimes not. I mean, you know, you know I, I have a great admiration for, for really great actors. Because, again, I think people miss, and yes, there are some actors that are able to just do it, you know, without any prep, but people also miss the amount of work that goes into being the artist that some of these actors are, their backgrounds, how hard it was to get to where they're at. And I still think it's fearful. Like, for me, I realised when I did these silly movies in the 80s, a lot of them I wouldn't want to see again, but what an incredible opportunity was, what an incredible journey it still goes on. But, you know, acting for me is, is one of those fear things, you know, because, again, you're going to be on camera. Whatever you do is there forever. Mm. But I also am okay with the fact that that's not really my passion. You know, acting for me was really a way to satisfy the economics of spending a little more time in, in the dojo, as we call it, mm. in the karate school. So that's okay too. But it's, it's fascinating. I, again, I'm just fascinated to see people that are that good at what they do and trying to figure out why are they that good? You know, what, what are their life manners and what are their life habits that allow them to be so good? Is it by luck or is it by just pure commitment or work? You know, I think that's, that's very interesting. Thank you guys. Thank you so much for uh, just taking the time to be here and then entertaining the conversation and seeing the value in it and the, and uh, yeah, like I just, I think I love you too as a, as as friends, and 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 I'm proud to say that you know I I really feel connected to you guys, and I love you guys together as a couple, and uh, yeah, I can't wait for our next conversation because I have so many more. I'm like I'm like I'm just thinking I'm writing down things that I want to talk about, and then I'm like, no, I can't. No, I know. That'll just take <laughs> yeah, we, we, we can go on forever. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Thank you so much, folks. Folks, this is Amplified Living, and I'm Dr. John. And uh, I just want to also say thank you so much for my businesses, even though we're shut down, except for Australia, called Fire Shaper, which are hot yoga studios and online yoga and fitness and wellness training called Yoginity. Uh, without having those businesses, I wouldn't have the 
the finances to be able to sit here and have the conversations with great people like this. And uh, actually, most importantly, to uh, the clients that I see that come in for daily work, the ones that fly in from different countries, well, not now, but uh, in the past, the, the ones that come in because they value the kind of work that I do uh, in the body work world and the healing work world. Uh, without those people, I wouldn't have the opportunity to continue to share and then, you know, and to express my artist masteries and things of that nature. So thank you so much. That's my generous plug. Richard, where can um, uh, people get in touch with you? Don't give your phone number. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, probably the best way is just Facebook Messenger. Facebook, John, yes. you, know, you know, like everybody, I've got, you know, you've got a limit to the amount of friends you have, which most, most of them I don't know. It's, it's kind of as much a marketing tool as anything else on Facebook. But anybody can uh, find me on Facebook and send me a message and any interest or anything they want to know or anything they want to know a little more, please, absolutely happy to, uh, to get messages from anybody out there. Awesome. Awesome. Judy, you want messages on Facebook as well? Or did people reach out to you to say hello? Uh, Go through Richard. I don't really bother with my Facebook that much, do yeah. I? She's hopeless. She's no, hopeless. I, I mean, Judy will get sometimes, she'll even go to where she's got five good friends, and then the next day they're gone. <laughs> she suddenly decides to purge them all, you know, yes. because, ah, oh, why am I doing this? And they don't respond to what no, I'm talking no, about no, animals, no, no, and no, they're no. gone. I she's brutal. I don't feel like that now, but <laughs> the realization is like, with my Facebook, if you looked at it, it's like all vegan stuff mainly. Now I've just switched it a bit because I am interested in other things as well. But I I realised that the vegan friends, which is they're a passionate group, let me tell you, I think once I had oh, vegan like was huge. And I just thought, well, it actually feels like a bit of a waste of my time having it because no one really shares the stuff because the vegans already are doing what they're doing and then other people, if they're not vegan, they don't want to share it to their friends because it seems a bit, it's a bit weird. So, I, I you know. How do, just, we, how do we find that? How do we find, is it a special group? Is it a special page? What's the name? It's under Judy Green. That's just under Judy Green. Good, but, um, that's a J-U-D-Y-G-R-E-E-N. The one, when it comes up, it's the one I'm with this little. Um, is it with the lion cub? Yeah, with the lion. Well, there's two pictures. There's the lion cub, and then I think you're in a black there's one place. where I have a like a a, a a rock wearing a rock. Basically. Cool. Cool. Well, I yeah. think that um, I think people will love to connect with you because the vegan, you know, culture is very strong, and you have had wonderful, wonderful information to share. So people will appreciate that. That's it, folks. Love you. Thank, Thank you, John. John.